welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church, and uh, I'm going to be posting a sermon that I preached yesterday from the book of Daniel. We've been walking through the book of Daniel. We're in chapter 4 now, and my prayer is that this sermon is encouraging to you. But before we get to the sermon, I uh, started recording it a little late, right in the uh, right in the middle of reading the passage, and so I'm going to read Daniel chapter four and then post the audio right after. So, thanks so much for listening. So, if you're following along in scripture or you're just listening in the car, this is Daniel chapter four. This was the passage. Daniel four, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs! How mighty His wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies of the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they, may, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, they came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he whose name is Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, Chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and the interpretation. Verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached the heavens, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom were not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. 
Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached the heavens. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which there was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown, and it's reached the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the ground and the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All of these things came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar! To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. Immediately the word of the Lord was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and he ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the end of my time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, 
For all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the living word of God. Let me ask you a question. If our country, just to put it in perspective of who's hearing this, come November 3rd and after the election, if our country were to erupt in a civil war, or government were to expand even bigger and bigger and adopt godless ideologies and destroy all freedom of religion, freedom of speech, to strip Christians of their rights, remove the, the right and privilege to worship, and we went through all this turmoil, could you say, God, you're still in control, and God, you are good? Or let me take it more personal. If you lost all the things that you hold dear, your friends, because they move away or you move away, or your sports because you have a career-ending injury, or your security because your family's going through a divorce, your parents, or if you lost, or if you were rejected by your crush, Or if you never got any affirmation from the people that you need affirmation from, like your parents, if you never got that. Or if you weren't accepted to any of the schools that you applied for, you didn't get the job that you wanted. All your wildest dreams, if those things didn't come true, if they didn't happen, if they, they were stripped from you, could you say, God, you're still in control and you are good? I'll be honest with you, I hesitate a little bit. Could I say that after the Lord takes a loved one? If you hesitate, now you know exactly how God's people felt that are here in Daniel chapter 4, the Israelites. They're exiled from their home. They're going through major suffering. And if that's true that you are hesitating, then you have a need just like them, God's people, in Daniel's time. And that need would be to help you think clearly about who God is. It would be for you to be reassured that God is still on the throne and that your thoughts of God are not to be shaped by your circumstances, your feelings, or by the world or pop culture, but to be shaped by God himself. And he does this through this letter. He, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar is writing you a letter. And it's crazy to show you, to teach us, to teach his people the whole purpose that no matter the good or bad circumstances we go through, no matter the suffering you're facing right now, and some of you are suffering and no matter the feelings you have about God, whether they're good or bad, or the worldly pressures you may be facing, the lesson for all of us, lessons for God's people is this, that, God, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever he will, and he sets over it the lowliest of men. I emphasized that three times when I read the text. God's people needed that reminder. And we could see that this is the main point in a few ways. First, in the opening phrase, you see in verses 1 through 3, Nebuchadnezzar opens up with praise. And the, the gist of his praise is that God is 
mighty. He's great. He's a most high God. His kingdom is everlasting. His dominion endures forever, right? But then it starts with praise and then he ends with praise. And it's the same thing. His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom endures. All of the, the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to his will, right? And so what God is trying to teach you and trying to teach me is that God is sovereign, he is sovereign, okay? I know that when you think about God, there's some characteristics that come to your mind. God is love. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. He's powerful. He's all-knowing. But the one that I want to focus on, and God wants you to focus on tonight, is that God is sovereign. And why it's important, and why it's vital for you to understand that God is the most high God in heaven and in earth. So what does it mean that God is sovereign? First, look at verse 17. This is kind of the crux of the whole entire, uh, the whole entire point. He says this. He says, The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. For what end? For what purpose? That the living... Are you living? I'm living. Okay? That the living, that we may know what? That the holy one, or the most high rules. And so what it does it mean for God to be sovereign? First, it means that God is not just God, but he is the most high. He's the most high. God, meaning he is infinitely elevated above the highest creature. There's none above him. There's none that control him. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent, as A.W. Pink says, a weird name, Pink, that's cool. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. That's what it means for God to be sovereign. God is in control. And we see that in verse 17, when, it, when he titles God as the most high. Is that your view of God? Because in verses 4, Nebuchadnezzar obviously thinks he's the most high God. He's sitting and he's at ease, Right? <laughs> Until a dream comes and it awakens him and alarms him. And he realizes, oh, I am not the most high. Maybe my astrologers and all these people could come and tell me what the dream means. Not even they. They can't even. Their religion isn't higher than God. God knows. They don't even know. God is the most high God. But then secondly, what does it say about the most high God in verse 17? It says that the most high rules. Now, I think that when we think about God and his sovereignty... It's that he's going to rule in the future. But did you know that this is an adjective? We all know what an adjective does. It describes who God is, right, and what he's doing. He's, and the point is this. God's people who are suffering, they're in exile. You who are suffering, that are going through things or will go through things, even if you're not. And even in the good times, God is presently sovereign. He's presently in control. He's presently in control. He, he's ruling now. He's the king who rules them all. Presently. Actively. Today. Now. But what is he presently, actively, today, now ruling? What does it say? The most high rules the kingdom of men. That, that's the earth. That is all governments, all kingdoms, right? And so he's not just generally specifically ruling over specific kingdoms, over all kingdoms. He's sovereign 
over the kingdom of men, over earth and all that it contains. See, most Christians believe in the ancient heresy that God is up there, sovereign up there, but then down in the mess of the world, that's our, that's our territory. That's, that's where man's free will runs. God isn't there. Unless it gets really bad, and we need his help, right? But what this passage is saying and reminding God's people is that the sovereign God, and, and confronting Nebuchadnezzar with, is that the sovereign God reigns now, presently, not you, Nebuchadnezzar, and he reigns over you, not just generally, but specifically, down in the mess with us. Not just theoretically, but literally, concretely. He is sovereign over all things. There's nothing out of his control. Look at verse 35. King Nebuchadnezzar realizes, he learns this. He says this, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he, that is the Most High God, does according to his will, not ours, amongst the host of heaven up top and amongst the inhabitants of the earth down low. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. That's our sovereign God. He does all that he pleases and none can stay at his hand or say, what have you done? See, not only is God specifically ruling now over kingdoms, but even particularly, and he's free in his rule. Look at the end of this, verse 17 again. Sorry, we're still in here. I got to get back to my page. Verse 17, he says that the Most High, this is the thing that you need to understand, Nebuchadnezzar and Israelites and God's people, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomever he wills and he sets over it the lowliest of men. See, God is particularly sovereign over every king, not just kingdoms, but even you, even kings, even Donald Trump, even uh, Boris Johnson in England or, or Putin in Russia. He is sovereign over it all. He controls them. They are puppets for him. God is the king. And God is absolutely free to control Notice what it says. Remember, it says he sets up whomever he wills over kingdoms, right? He is the freedom to do this. See, God is really the ultimately free person. He's the only free one. This is what it means for God to be sovereign, to be exclusively sovereign. And this is what, so we're getting into the application now. So we're starting with the doctrine. Application. This is the whole point that King Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn and God's people needed to learn and what you need to learn. That God is a supreme being. He's not just some fairy, some effeminate God who sits up there and is our moral janitor and doesn't get down to the mess and doesn't care about our sin. He does. He is the supreme God. He's over all things. Sometimes we talk about God like he is nothing, right? And this passage is confronting that in us. Maybe you think that way sometimes. I'm guilty of it. He is the most high. And what's so amazing about this passage is that in the Babylonian context, Nebuchadnezzar was the vice regent for the Babylonian gods. Merdek, their god, was supposed to be the one that sets up kingdoms and all these things. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is writing to the whole earth this letter saying, no, 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 no. It's God, the most high, who's king. That's what's so amazing. He's evangelizing to, the, to everyone in the world. 
He's telling them that they must know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills and sets over the lowliest of men, the most insignificant. Now, what's the application? Why do you need to hear this? Why does God's people need to hear this, okay? I got three things. Three things. One, you must grasp the supremacy of God or sovereignty of God. Grasp the sovereignty of God. That's the first thing that we need to learn. That's why I, I laid it out. And now we know that God, God, that God is sovereign. Grasp the sovereignty of God. Why? Because it is the most reassuring, comforting doctrine to hold in the midst of suffering and trials. And isn't our God so kind to reassure his people who are suffering, right? They're in exile. See, God's people, maybe you tonight, you need reassurance that God is still on the throne, that he's still in control, that in the midst of what you're going through, that it's not out of God's hands. Friends, if you're an anxious person, you need to grasp the sovereignty of God, not just in your head, but in your heart. What is anxiety? Anxiety occurs when something out of your control breaks loose and you can't stop it, right? It's when you walk in here and everyone's looking at you. you get anxious, right? I hope that doesn't happen. I don't want you to be anxious here. It comes when you miss an assignment or you have a huge project due and the possibility of failure looms over you. Or maybe it's the fact that you will never get enough. You'll never get to that point where it's enough. And so you're anxious because you can't control it. You can't get your hand around it, right? And so you, you fall into this anxiety and depression because you feel like a failure. Student, it's right there in that moment where the sovereignty of God, that he is in control, that he's in it, that his hands are in it, that, that he's working these things for your good. That's when it must enter your mind and into your heart to comfort you and to reassure you. That's what God's people need, and that's what we need. Isn't that right? I love what Spurgeon says. He says that there's no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty, the sovereign God, has ordained their afflictions. That the sovereignty overrules them and that sovereignty will sanctify them. The sovereignty of God is a sweet pillow in which his children can rest their head. I pray that the sovereignty of God would become that sweet pillow to rest your life upon. So you must grasp the sovereignty of God, which, which brings comfort. That you're not alone. That you're not in control. But there is a God who is. Secondly, not only do you need to grasp this doctrine, but you need to submit to his rule. If God is sovereign and on the throne, that means that you are not. Right? <laughs> Sin here lies the problem with man. We hate it. We hate this doctrine. We hate sovereignty. Why? Because men will allow to be God, will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. Right? They want God to bring them good things. They cry out to God when they're going through trouble to help them. But when God says, pick up your cross and follow me, they hate it. They gnash their teeth. They don't want anything to do with it. When God says, repent, turn from your sin, they're like, no, I don't want that, right? Because man naturally revolts or rebels against the sovereignty and control of God. Case in point, Nebuchadnezzar, right? 
He did not submit to God's sovereignty. He flat out denied it, even though God had given him every reason to come under his rule. He was the sovereign ruler of his own life, and aren't we? We're not much different. Think with me here. The sovereignty of and the free will of man is the devil's ancient heresy. Think about what Satan tempted Eve with in the garden. God is a cosmic killjoy. You can't eat of that fruit? No, he just doesn't want you to become like him. You want to be like God? Yeah, you could rule your own life. Just take of this fruit, right? That's the ancient heresy. You are in control, Eve. You're in control of your life. And Americans especially hate this doctrine because we're, we're freedom fighters, right? right? We, we, came, we rebelled against Britain. It's awesome. I'm thankful for that. It's cool history. But the spirit of that rebellion against authority, about having autonomy and having our rights, that, that spirit of don't tell me what to do is, in, is within all of us. I mean, who has to teach a child to rebel against their parents, to say no? I know Sam didn't teach his daughter to say no. I know my parents didn't teach me to say no. It's natural. The rebellion. I will not come under this authority. See, that's the problem. And that's the problem with Nebuchadnezzar here. Over and over and over again, he wanted to establish himself as the Lord of his life. And he's walking on the roof. His chest is out. His arms are, look at all that I created. Look at this, right? And in a moment, he's brought down to dust. See, King Nebuchadnezzar captures the spirit of our culture. I'm in control of my life. Look what I did. The top-selling Christian book in 2018-19, it's not a Christian book. It was the top-selling book in Christian personal growth by Rachel Hollis called Girl, Wash Your Face. I don't know if you've heard about it. Some of you probably have. You probably see it on the top shelves. It was in Barnes & Noble. I saw it. This is what she states. Know this one great truth. You are in control of your own life. You get one life, one chance to live it, and life is passing you by. That's her whole thesis. Or how about this one from a very prominent princess, Merida from Brave. You control your destiny. You don't need magic to do it, and there's no magical shortcuts to solving your problems. You're in control of your life. This is the world's doctrine. This is the world's good news. It's a man-centered gospel, and maybe I gotta ask you this, has it crept into your own thinking? I'm in control. No, 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 I'm in control. This way of living only leads to one place. And this was King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what he needed to learn. And he learned a hard lesson. See, unless you, who want to be in control of your own life, repent of your self-righteousness and your pride, there's only one destination. There's only one end And that is down. It's destruction. Unless we learn and repent that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men. And he doesn't. He is cut down by God. Nebuchadnezzar is exiled for his pride and his self-righteousness. And dear friends, I love you enough to tell you that if you do not submit to God's rule, the same will happen to you. 
See, if you're not coming under God's rule, you're rebelling against God's rule. In your, in your life, think about that. What areas of your life? Maybe you come here, you're like, God is sovereign, but when it comes to relationships, you no, that's up to me. I get to do what I want to do. God is sovereign over all things except for my grades. But you have big responsibility there. But he's in control of that. What area of your life if you're saying, I'm going to control this, but I, and I don't want to give it up. You see, from Adam to Israel to Nebuchadnezzar and to us, we have always believed we're in control of our own lives. And that's sin. That is sin. It's saying, my way is better than yours, God. And we spend so much time, right, building our own kingdom like King Nebuchadnezzar and rejecting his. And because of that, we deserve exile. We deserve exactly what Nebuchadnezzar got to become an animal. In fact, when we're met with our sin, we come to realize that an animal is just what we are. We're sinful. We're wicked. We don't submit to God's law and to God's rule. We like the idea of God being a genie only in times of trouble. We spend so much of our time bargaining with God and not coming under his rule. But what's so amazing about this whole chapter is just how patient and loving God is with Nebuchadnezzar, right? He gives him a whole year. He, he reveals the dream. This is what's going to happen. Daniel even calls him to repentance. And even God gives him an opportunity. Until you recognize this, then you'll be restored. And God restores him, which is his mercy. He gives him multiple times to repent. And in the same way, hasn't God been so gracious to you that if you come in here, you recognize your sin, you recognize your need. What's so amazing is that we have a God who, who calls you to repent, but he even extends that grace and love to you tonight for forgiveness. Based on the truth that before the foundation of the world, our sovereign God who is in control over our salvation, planned to send his son, Jesus Christ, who agreed to face even the worst humilica- uh, humiliation by dying on the cross for our sins, suffering in our place, rising from the dead, so that we could have hope and comfort in the midst of our suffering. Jesus is our sovereign Lord. And so here's the application is, have you grasped it? And are you submitting to God's sovereign rule in your life? And third... Are you a worshiper of God? Have you worshiped God as a sovereign ruler? And that's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar does. Have you changed your mind and agreed with God that you have a need and that you're not in control? The moment you give up control, like Jonah, think about it, he kept running, he kept running. Sooner or later, that big whale is going to come and get you. And that big whale is God's love and mercy that cuts you down and shows you your need. For a savior. And that's our merciful God. That even in the midst of suffering. That's what he's teaching Israel. Even in the midst of the exile. Because of their sin. I'm going to spare you. And I'm going to promise you a future king. Who will come and save you. And that's our only hope. Our only hope is in a sovereign God. A sovereign God who would restore a king so wicked. And only a sovereign God who could save sinners like us. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. And so my last question is this. Have you grasped the supremacy of God and submitted to his loving rule? Christian, the sovereignty of God is a sweet pillow for you to rest your head, to rest your life upon, to rest in Christ. If you need rest, call out to Jesus tonight.
Repent, turn from your sin. Trust in him, receive comfort and joy in Christ because he forgives your sin and he is a God who is sovereign over all things. I can't imagine living life going through suffering without a God, without believing there's a God. That's a hopeless way. Not only is our God sovereign over suffering, but he uses it for our good. I pray that you would see that and come to see just how great and mighty our God is. Thank you so much for listening to the Redeemer Students podcast. If you want more information about our church, you could go to RedeemerRockford.Church and you could find information about our Sunday services that you could RSVP for or even more information about our youth ministry and upcoming events. Thank you so much for listening. I pray that this sermon was edifying to you and made you want to worship like King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I hope that you have a great day and that your thoughts would be filled with, with, with the Word of God. Thank you so much for listening.